Hi, you're listening to Your Best with my nanny, Kathy Weckworth. Hi, this is Kathy Weckworth, Executive Director of Best Life Ministries, and you're listening to Your Best, a motivational, inspirational 30 minutes that will help you want to be your best. Today's topic is hometown living. I grew up in a small town in Iowa. And then I moved to the Twin Cities and lived there for 26 years. And now I'm back in a small town. And to tell you the truth, if I have to compare them, I will take that small town feel any day of my life. The town is where everything neatly comes together on the boulevards. The boulevards where I grew up were big and wide with lovely tall light fixtures that stood proud down the middle, sending light to the ends of the road and shining brightly to declare that hope and goodwill towards men still abounds in rural America. As I grew up and moved away to those twin cities, I would have afternoons with my three little girls, and I'd miss the feeling of knowing my neighbors and traveling on my bike across the boulevards to friends' homes after school. Instead, we drove 20 minutes to get to our little girls' friends' houses to play, and each day at 3 p.m., it was time for the girls to experience a piece of hometown, even if it was only via the TV set. When my girls were growing up, our favorite show came right on PBS with Mr. Fred Rogers. He'd be walking through the door, putting on some fabulous zip-up cardigan, changing out those shoes, bursting into song. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful day for the neighbor. Won't you be mine? Could you be mine? Would you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Something like that. My town, your town, our hometown. It always seems to boil down to the people we know, the people next door, the day-in and day-out adventures of our hometown neighbors. When I spent those 20-some years of my life living in the Twin Cities, desperately praying and continually yearning for neighbors, I just didn't really get them. I had people living next to me, but in the hustle and bustle of city life where people raced from one thing to the next, it really meant people didn't have time for one another. And if you saw people, it was because you drove for a while and got to church or got to the coffee shop. But it really wasn't the same feel that you have when you live in a small town. As a child growing up in small town Iowa, my folks lived on the outskirts of the town. Our city block backed up to fields of corn. Because we were in the middle of the block and it was 1967, my parents knew every single neighbor. They knew every neighbor. And they knew them very well. When we heard the bell ring for the Rarick boys next door, we knew it was time for them to go in for supper. When Dave Belairs came hiking up the street with his basketball, we knew it was time for Foursquare. And when Mrs. Higgins got cancer, we knew it was time to take over supper and remember her in our prayers. I love to watch this aspect of neighbors in my hometown of Benson. I recently listened to Farmer Dean reciting how he knew this person and that one and how their parents moved away and this son took over the farming and this neighbor grew up and married a doctor. Kind of makes me smile. Yesterday, I listened to how Grandpa Bud chatted with strangers who lived down the road, all the while telling them about their homes before they lived there, who had lived there, how long they lived there, and what happened to them. He knew his neighbors. He knows his neighbors. He remembered them from days long ago. Well, you know, he's 90, so he's had a lot of neighbors. There's something so irreplaceable about small town and neighborhoods. 
something unattainable in city life that can't compare to hometown USA. That's where I live now. That's where I experience love and laughter, loyalty and lessons. That's where people mean just a little bit more. And joining me in the studio today throughout my entire show are people from my hometown, people that are my neighbors, people that I think are great. To start things out with, here's the owner and editor, Reed Anfinson, from our Benson paper, the Swift County Monitor. For the past eight years, I've been proud to have my own column in our paper called Then and Now, and I've been thrilled to work with my friend, such an incredibly gifted man, Reed Anfinson. And I just have one question for you, Reed, today. What's one of your favorite things about running a business in a small town? Well, it really has to do a lot with uh, the sense of belonging, of having an, an important place within the fabric of your community. We're on a first-name basis with many of the people who are subscribers and advertisers. They're not strangers. In the bigger cities, you don't have that personal contact to the same degree. We get immediate feedback from people who read the newspaper uh, when it comes out, and uh, sometimes they like it and sometimes they don't, but uh, we learn either way from what they have to tell us. Uh, And we provide an essential service, keeping the community well-informed on their local elected officials and what their government's up to. But newspapers, and this is the part I really like, we get to connect the community with the stories we write about people in their lives. And, And by printing those stories, we build kind of a shared community through shared stories. And that shared sense of community is what really brings people together to work towards common goals. And once in a while, we're also a little bit of a prod in the community to get people to move ahead with things that we think uh, we need to face and need to get done. Thanks so much for popping in on the show today. That was Reed Anfinson from the Swift County Monitor right here in Benson, Minnesota. I love this quote and think it's so true. The nice thing about living in a small town is that when you don't know what you're doing, someone else does. Today in the studio with me, I have a fabulous friend who's an incredible hometown musician here from Benson, and it's Matt Hogestun, and he is a graduate student in the School of Music at Baylor University right in Waco, Texas. Matt, I'm so glad you're here. It's good to be here. Oh, fun, fun. So listeners, Matt came out and just blew the roof off of my little church in the Grove on Christmas Eve at 11 p.m. He was so fabulous singing Holy Night and Do You Hear What I Hear? So everybody's still talking about it. And I thought, wow, well, he's home. We're going to get him here into the studio. So Matt, you're just an incredible vocalist and musician. Did you always want to go into a career with music? And if so, when did you start feeling that calling? That's always a really complicated question. Um, But I think uh, it all kind of started when I was really little. I think when I was four years old, I heard a recording of uh, Verdi's Aida over the Met broadcast, and I thought it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever heard. And this is opera that I'm talking about. Um, And also being around music at Our Redeemer's Lutheran Church uh, here in Benson um, when I was growing up is kind of also what, you know, really helped encourage me along the way. Um, I kind of originally wanted to uh, go into the Navy or into the Merchant Marine or something like that. Um, But when my lungs collapsed, I really couldn't do that anymore. And so I decided to kind of... uh, get back into music since something I'd done for a really long time. And, uh, you know, it it worked out because of a lot of different things, but mainly, you know, the provision of the Lord was really something that uh, I can point to throughout everything that happened that brought me to the place I am today. Um, and I love collaborating, so music was an obvious choice in addition to that. So That's so great. So tell me about lungs collapsing. Uh, well, when I was a sophomore in high school, uh, that's when that happened. Okay. Um, it was uh, a very, very 
scary thing because uh, I could have died from it. Wow. And uh, so basically what happened was, uh, you know, there was a, a part of the lung that uh, formed a hole and then the lung collapsed within the, the, the pleural cavity, um, which then put pressure on the heart, which can cause heart attack, sure. things like that. Um, but I got it all fixed and, uh, it, you know, it, it healed a little bit and then it happened again, a mm. uh, second time, which was kind of the, the last nail in the coffin, I think for, you know, doing things like joining the military or, sure. you know, that, sure. cause that stuff disqualifies you. Um, and I do notice it sometimes like when I sing or when I exercise, uh, and I have a, a lasting condition called pleurisy, okay. which causes pain when I breathe sometimes. Okay. Um, it's not continuous, so it doesn't usually affect what I do. But a little bit of a challenge for a musician, obviously. Yeah, especially one that has to use breath as much as we do. Sure, so. sure. So you have a different style of music, Matt, that you perform, which I love. Tell us a little bit about that and why you chose that versus just the regular everyday pop style. For sure. Uh, I originally chose classical singing and um, that training specifically because it was the most practice at the university level. So you go to a university and the thing that you're going to find is classical training. You're not going to find uh, pop training as widely, um, you know, from university to university. Uh, and the classical training is also um, highly considered the most efficient style of singing, uh, which um, basically also makes it the most healthy. Um, we sing without amplification, which um, means that sometimes it's a large space, sometimes it's a small space. And sure. You know, often it's with uh, with instruments or even full orchestra sometimes. So that technique is required to be able to pierce through that orchestral sound. And that's just super exciting to me, you mm -hmm. know, to do because we're not using microphones. We're not, uh, we're not using any sort of um, sound altering device. It's just the voice. Sure. And I mean, that's amazing because when you think about it, singers are often referred to um, by people in the music community as uh, some but athletes, right? Um, because we're doing Olympic feats with our voices. Mm -hmm. You are, and uh, so that's kind of like part of the draw of it. It's just super exciting to uh, get the chance to practice this art form that goes back uh, into you know early history, early music history, specifically in church history, um, and it's tr you know progressed from that to what it currently is today, which is. Um, not only new commissions of new operas or new song material, but it's also the preservation of what we've had for hundreds and hundreds of years. Sure. And so. I loved it because when you were at the church in the Grove on Christmas Eve, of course, you didn't use a microphone and you filled the church with your voice. And I love that because I thought, you know, think about way back then, they'd have a hundred people in that little building. And you and I know that, you know, sound is absorbed in bodies. So I always imagine, wow, they had to have you know, the ability that you do to project their voices to be able to hear, you know, all the way to the back of the church. So that's so neat to me. Yeah, it's not something that, you know, a popular singer can can do as easily. It's not out of the realm of possibility. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, without without training in that um, non-amplified singing, right. it's very difficult to, to make that much sound or to make that volume of sound. Um, it's also more about resonance, so it's difficult to to reach that level of resonance without that classical training that you can get at university. Sure, sure. Did it take you a while to be able to establish that ability? I'm still working on it. Are you? <laughs> it's, not, it's not a process that's ever really done. Um, you know, I've been to university for my undergrad. That was four years. I've been studying voice um, even before that. 
but now at Baylor, I also study voice, and it's it's a continuous process of learning and developing and growing because um, you never stop learning. Sure. And that's the thing that you know I also really love about this. Yeah. There's always something else to to discover or to improve upon. So when you're doing this, I just have a quick question here to throw in. When you're doing this and you're learning and you're learning techniques and styles, do you as an artist, because I know for me as a musician, there are so many times where I will have somebody say, okay, you know, that was flat or you should have done this or you should have held it out or it wasn't quite your best. Do you ever get like, you know, a little bit antsy or edgy or like what in the world's wrong with me? Mad at yourself or grouchy at them? Of course. Um, <laughs> you know, that's something that everybody deals with, whether it's popular music, classical music, jazz music. Um, there's always going to be that, you know, frustration sometimes, but it's something that as a musician you learn to deal with. You take the criticism that people give you, hopefully constructive, mm -hmm. absolutely, and uh, you use it to then better yourself. That's and, right. you know, if you, if you let yourself get beat up about it or if you let yourself get down about it, mm -hmm. uh, it's really hard to move forward. It is. So, I'm sure it's that way with anything in life. So tell us about your future plans, Matt. What are you going to do? Uh, well, currently I'm working on uh, finishing my master's degree in uh, vocal performance. And uh, I'd like to, after that, start, start working. Um, but I'm also planning to continue studying conducting as I'm also an orchestral conductor. And uh, I'd like to continue studying that along with voice uh, and remain in Waco for a little while. Um, but I'm, I'm really excited to start working on projects outside of a degree. Um, you know, in academia, that'd be awesome too. Um, but, you know, going for the doctorate right now, um, they call it a DMA, is not something I'm really interested in doing at this point. I really want to, you know, start working outside of a degree plan and uh, in the real world, so to speak. Okay. So exciting. I love it. So you have a huge calling for missions on top of all of this great musical ability. Um, tell us a little bit about the organization that you work with, where you travel and what you do to help others. Great. Well, uh, the biggest organization that I work with is called Baylor Music Mission. Okay. Uh, and it's based out of Baylor University. It's a program that uh, goes every single year to a different place in the world. Um, this last year, they went to El Salvador. The year before that, they went to Malaysia. Uh, and again, this year, we're going to Malaysia. And I didn't go to El Salvador, but I've been to Malaysia. And this will be uh, the second time I've been this summer. And uh, basically, what we do is we go as a group. It's a, you know, a team made up of graduate students, undergrads, and professors. Some people from the community also join in if they uh, have qualifications to teach. But we teach practical skills to the locals so that they can more effectively lead worship in church and in their communities um, and in different aspects of those things, such as uh, song planning, worship leading, um, preaching even, okay. um, to that extent. So, so are they um, able to have translators? Do you have... I don't know if they speak English. You know, when I went to Poland for missions, a lot of them spoke English, you mm -hmm. know, very broken. Do they speak English there? Do you have people It really help? depends on where we are. Okay. Um, you know, if you're in a bigger city, like, um, you know, one of the bigger cities there is Sendakin. Uh, it's on the southern, the southern part of the island of Borneo. Okay. Um, they are very, uh, you know, versed in English most of the time. Uh, and there we work with not only Malaysians, but Chinese and Filipino as well. Uh, and so a lot of times they speak English, but in the smaller communities, um, such as the jungle communities or the jungle villages, uh, they didn't speak really any English, um, especially the children. 
So we had to work with translators and we had to work with translated handouts of our materials. Sure. Uh, we did a lot of hand signals too. And okay. like not sign language, um, but, you know, trying to express what we wanted or what um, they should do based on our body language. Okay. So a lot of like do as I do. Yeah. Sort yeah, of thing. Yeah. So. Isn't it neat though how music transcends language? You know, that once you're singing and getting into that, people just, it doesn't matter if they understand the words, it's just such a beautiful ability. Completely. And especially for the people that don't understand it, or even if they do, because what we do is we use uh, music in their language. So mm -hmm. we use their own cultural music, which means sometimes we'll take recording devices and we'll record them singing, you know, folk songs, or okay. we'll record them singing their own worship music, and then we'll take it back to the United States and notate it, okay. and then bring it back to them wow. in notation form. Wow, neat. Because one of the things that we teach them is how to read notation and okay. how to read music, okay. uh, which helps them then to maintain these songs in a repertoire. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times, you know, you'll come back and they'll be like, you know, oh, we don't know what that song was that we sang last time because we don't have it written down. Sure. Because in these cultures, it's all very much, um, you know, by rote still. Okay. Uh, there's not a lot of written anything. Yeah. Um, but that's part of our goal is to help them learn notation and help them to learn how to read music so that okay. they can then take these things and run with them. Fun. And when are you headed back? Uh, I should be headed back in May. Okay. And uh, which also brings up the fact that uh, there's another organization too called HFCC Performing Arts Company that I also work with um, after Malaysia. So I'm going to be in Malaysia for three weeks or so, four weeks. And then uh, coming back to um, the United States to go to Michigan. And this is a, another Christian organization that I work with um, where we put on fully staged productions of classic musicals with professional orchestra, um, professional costume, lights, sound, sets, everything, the whole Wonderful. nine yards for kids seven through 18 years old. And okay. it's run out of a Bible camp. So from nine to four, we do rehearsals for two weeks. And then before nine and after four, we teach them about Jesus okay. uh, at this camp. Neat. So it's, a, it's another great opportunity um, for these for kids outreach. to learn about sure. the gospel, um, just like we're teaching the gospel through music and other things such as theology and, you know, planning and logistics in Malaysia. It's the same sort of thing, just for a different audience. Sounds wonderful. Well, Matt, thank you so much for being in the studio with me today. And listeners, if you're excited to hear Matt's fabulous voice, stay tuned because we're going to have an incredible piece of music today. And he is going to be uh, back with us in just a few minutes. Oh, oh, oh. 
That was Matt Hogiston, and he's here in the studio with me right now. Matt, thanks so much. Do you want to say hi to anybody here in the Benson area? Oh, gosh. Well, there's there's a lot of people. Um, I mean, my parents live here. My grandfather lives here. Um, you know, uh, it's great to be back, and it's great to see the faces of people that I've, I've missed for so long. I was just at the bakery a minute ago. Yay. And uh, I saw a few people that I, I've uh, not seen in quite such a long time. And, sure. Uh, it's great to, great to see them and be back um, in this very cold place. Exactly. <laughs> it is. And it feels a lot colder than it really is. Well, thanks so much for being with us today. Oh, thanks for having me. Friends, we'd also like to recognize the fabulous piano accompaniment. And that was brought to you by Mr. Jeffrey Arnold in that song. Small towns, hometowns, and the middle of nowhere towns are my favorites. I remember leaving that small town when I grew up, heading for the cities for college and wondering what would happen to that wonderful feeling of being known by everyone in a small town. The magic of that feeling was lost when I reached the cities, and I knew no one. I found it hard to know and be known. But when I arrived here in Benson 10 years ago to marry Farmer Dean, well, life changed. Slowly but surely, I began to know again and be known. And here's one thing I know. I feel very privileged to have my producer right here in my hometown, bringing you some fabulous leadership tips. Here's John Jennings. This is John Jennings with Leadership Moments by Jeremiah Palmer. Being versus being right or wrong. I'm sure I picked the wrong line again. That was the thought running through my mind as I entered one of those security line tributaries at the airport. I tend to believe that whatever queue I choose, regardless of venue, seems to take the longest. What struck me as odd about my thought was the assumption that there was a correct lane. Certainly, there was indeed one line that would prove faster. Did faster equate to correct? 
In life, I'm oft assuming that the choices I make are right or wrong. Some, of course, are worthy of that distinction. There are a multitude more, however, to which we artificially assign certainty or significance. What's the cost? I think it leaves us paralyzed about choices to be made or excessively worried about the choices we do make. Don't get me wrong here. Choice is a beautiful thing. Yet, obsessing over some choices takes away our ability to be present, which can inhibit our learning. I also think it relates to this idea of perfection that infects many of us. In my example, did it matter which line I chose? Not really. I had ample time to make the flight. What if the line took longer? Was shorter? What reaction might I have? What might I learn about myself? How might I show up with others differently if not fretting about my choice? Sure, the airport example might be trite. Yet I think it can be instructive. Where I am agonizing over choices... Which are worthy of the excessive contemplation? Which am I avoiding because I'm not sure which option is right? What's that costing me? What learning am I missing because I don't want to be wrong? Next time, I'll pick a line and just stay present, kick back, enjoy the ride, and learn. Here's another fabulous friend right here from our hometown, Benson, business owner, mom, and grandma. And can I just add a dash of happy, encouraging, energized, and the most fun ever? Carla Johnson. Here's Carla's thoughts on living in a small town. Hey, have you heard or seen that funny quote on a plaque about small town? You know the one. The good thing about living in a small town is everyone knows you. And the bad thing about living in a small town is everyone knows you. Hi, I'm Carla Johnson, and I'm here to tell you about why I love living in a small town rural community. And it's because I believe that we have diverse opportunities here and they are as abundant and vast as all these open spaces we live in. And yet, no matter who you are, whether you live in town or out in the country, this community is very close and it's really hard to slip through the cracks here. What do I mean by that? Well, in a small town, someone somewhere knows you and they care about you. And it's just not your immediate family either. It's friends and teachers and neighbors and social services or medical staff, co-workers, the people where you go to church, shop owners, right down to the people who work in our restaurants and grocery stores and gas stations. Someone knows you and they care about you. We don't even realize who or how many until we need some kind of a help or assistance, or we're celebrating something, some accomplishment, there is always someone to do that with us or for us. I see it happening every day here in our small town. I see it in our local newspaper. I hear it on the radio. I see people on the street and we stop and visit and they'll tell you about someone who's in need or someone who's celebrating something. And it's so obvious that people really care. I also know firsthand about that caring because years ago, my family and I were direct recipients of someone or some people and they cared about us. And it made a huge difference in our lives. It was amazing. It's amazing to think that someone 
that you don't know or maybe you do know cares that much about you. But you see, in a small town, it's really hard to slip through the cracks. You know, it's that old saying, the good thing about living in a small town is someone somewhere knows you. When it comes to neighbors, nothing compares to the joys of living in a small town or a rural community and embracing life next door to a neighbor. As the calendar pages fly from one year to the next, the one thing that remains the same over time is that people really do matter and people really do care. There's a deep satisfaction in knowing that I'm a part of something, a part of something bigger than I understand, a part of community, of neighborhood, of life. My mind drifts back to those three little girls lined up in front of the TV set, and I can hear his voice now as he gently sings those lovely words, I've always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in the neighborhood with you. Good old Mr. Rogers. Isn't it time that you take a moment today and look out your window? You know them. They really have just lived life next to you. They're your neighbor, living everyday life, whether it's your town or mine, your city or theirs. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Hometown USA, that's where I live. Let me pray with you today. Dear Jesus, help us to be kind to our neighbors. Help us to enjoy where we live. Help us to embrace all that you have to offer us, whether it's a little town or a big city. Thank you for orchestrating our lives and allowing us the chance to live and breathe. We give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. If you missed last week's show, you can listen to the podcast on iTunes at Kathy Weckworth, your best. For more encouragement and hope, log on to our website at bestlifeministries.com. And for more information about me, you can log on to kathyweckworth.com. Hey, thanks for being with us today. And until next time, I encourage you to go out and be your best. Yeah.